Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by two colleagues this time, Tim Foster. Hi, John. And Rich Heisen. How are you doing, everybody? And Rich Heisen is the newbie because he's the new editor of Capital Weekly. Uh, so I'll be calling you complaining about coverage and asking that you do the top 100 over or something. So, Rich, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it is absolutely my pleasure both to be here today and to be here uh, trying to follow in these enormous footsteps. That's true. That's true. I, I've been telling everybody that and nobody agrees with me. But, um, Rich, thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. And so let me ask you one thing. Um, so wait a minute, John, before we jump into this. No, no, I want to jump in right now. What do you want to do? I want to say, like, for our listeners uh, who may have not been paying as close attention uh, as, as we would hope, uh, John is retiring. This will be his yeah. last. This as we said last, last time, there are all yeah. our followers are... Thousands of followers and listeners know that. You know? That's true. Well, um, just for those who don't, for the yeah. for the newbies, John has been here <laughs> since uh, day one at Capital Weekly, really. Uh, uh, in the redesigned yeah. Capital Weekly, 2005. Before that, Capital Weekly, as everybody remembers who follows California politics, was the most boring publication in Sacramento. Ken Mandler is about of, to sue you. <laughs> 40 pages of agate. Well, boring to me. A lot of people, though, liked it. Uh, it was a place they went jobs. to get a yeah, state job. It was an employment uh, paper. Basically, it's like taking a newspaper advertising uh, classified section and putting it together <laughs> weekly in magazine or a newspaper form. But you but, were instrumental in converting that into a sort of a roll call model. Well, that was the idea. The, yeah. the York family purchased it in uh, Anthony York, uh, excuse me, Arnold and Karen York of Malibu, who then owned the Malibu Times, which they recently sold. Uh, they purchased Capital Weekly and redesigned it. And so their son, Anthony, and I was on staff. And then we had two reporters on staff, Shane Goldmacher and um, Malcolm McLaughlin. And that lasted for a while. Then, of course, we got poor because we couldn't sustain the public, excuse me, the print edition. Yeah. Uh, and then we, Tim and I looked at each other and said, hey, if you stay, I'll stay. And I'll stay if you stay. And we both decided to stay as we turned it into an online only, almost only, um, and non-profit. a different side, nonprofit, segued into nonprofit. Also, with should uh, should mention Kathy Brown also came along with us. Yes, uh, who has since retired and escaped. Yes, yeah, we drove her out yeah. screaming. So uh, that's the quick history. Now, Rich, <laughs> Rich Eisen is probably listening to this, going, "What the hell have I gotten into?" Yeah, uh, but Rich has a background, a journalism background. Another alumnus from the California Journal. Uh, Longtime alumnus from StateNet, which has a national reach and does newsletters and coverage all over the place, I think. Uh, what am I forgetting, Rich? I probably am. Well, I, I mean, all that's true. Uh, but also, you know, I've also been doing a lot of work with Capital Weekly over the years. Yes. So uh, I'm pretty familiar with, uh, I guess, where the bathrooms are, at least. You know, I didn't have to, you know, usually when people come in, that's what they say. They spend their first month just trying to make sure they know where the bathrooms yeah. are. I do know where they are here. That's good. That's a good thing. And in our palatial offices here, uh, in the shadow of the EPA building, yes, uh, we have, I think, uh, 750 square feet. That may include the common ground in front. Yeah. I, so uh, it's not like we have this lavish palatial office, but I like to describe it like that just to impress people. But And we know where the bathrooms are. They're down the corridor about 30 yeah. or 40 feet, you know. Well, I have had the advantage of being around Sacramento for a long time. And you're right. For the last 20 years, of course, I've been covering uh, state houses all over the country for, for StateNet and for LexisNexis. And, um, and that's been a great experience. I certainly um, developed a very deep appreciation for the role California plays in national politics. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit of an overused cliche that California is a nation state. 
I know Governor Newsom likes to use that, toss that out there as often as he can. But it's actually one of those things that's actually true. Um, you know, we are a, a massive economy, and just by uh, the the dint of our size, we do influence the rest of the nation on a lot of things. Sometimes in a good way, maybe sometimes in a not so good way. Um, but all that being said, I'm very excited uh, to be able to focus just on California politics for the foreseeable future. It uh, is fun. Yes. It, is, it is fun. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on everywhere. I, don't know, I will always keep an ear to it. But Really through the context of uh, it's of a blood California. sport. California politics is a blood sport, I think. It and is a blood sport. Yeah, it's it's nice hanging out with it and kind of figuring out how things work. And it is a, it's amazing to me that there's so few journalists in Sacramento, the the capital of a state with you know 39 million people, maybe shrinking slightly, but it is a nation state. That's my favorite cliche. Uh, it is a nation state and has all the problems of a nation. It's even, um, you know, diversity is incredible here. Poverty is incredible here. The, the disparity of poor and rich is unbelievable here. Rents are absolutely disgraceful here. Mm-hmm. Almost now, wherever you live. Um, it's got all these problems, but, you know, journalists get to basically stand back a little bit and write about these problems that other people are trying to solve, sort of hold their coats while they get in fights, which is... A good day for reporters. No matter how bad the world gets, it's a good day for reporters. I think you know. Well, John, and I think I think as both of us are California natives, right? And so we have the maybe the advantage of knowing that California's uh, its diversity is not just in its people; it's in its topography. I mean, if you're from you know Eureka. Or that's incredibly different from being down south, right? I mean, everything from Death Valley to, you know, the top of of uh, uh, the mountains, wherever, right? You know, this is an incredibly diverse state. And I think when you grow up here the way the way we did, I mean, so where, really... So where are you from, Rich? Uh, I was born in South Lake Tahoe, uh, pretty much raised here in Sacramento. Uh, I've lived in L.A. Uh, and then I've lived a little bit on the East Coast, too. But uh, I am predominantly a Northern California native for life. Yeah. I was born in Beirut in Lebanon. Uh, my parents, both Americans, were there when, uh, with my dad's business uh, and then came back to California in the early 50s, 54, I think, 55, and then lived here then until um, I left to go. I went and did a year in Mexico uh, in high school. Uh, excuse me, did more than I did a year in college in Mexico, did several years in high school down there and came back here. Uh, in the late 60s. 69, You're forgetting I that think. exciting time you spent in Florida, John. Oh, yeah, I kind of skipped over that. My only, <laughs> my only uh, East Coast experience living, I've been there in and out quite a bit, was Florida. I know people, some people love Florida. I have a friend who just loved the tropics, thought Florida was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Florida was terrible. <laughs> Florida, I've never seen such humidity. This is Miami I'm talking about. Also, it's not far from the Okefenokee Swamp, uh, which is kind of like, Miami, but without the buildings, you know. Uh, hurricanes seemed to buzz by all the time. Uh, one time, a hurricane got near, and I saw a bunch of crabs migrating up Collins Avenue. I couldn't believe it. People had bad skin because I think the humidity, they, it was just a terrible place. And I was only there nine months, less than a year, really. I was so delighted to leave. And so if I've offended anybody from Florida out there, I'm sure there are people out there that have their terrible California stories, too, oh, yeah. you know. Uh, 
especially renters out there that are listening. But Florida, uh, I did, Tim, skip over that deliberately because yeah. I wanted to keep be positive because I'm a very positive guy, as you know. And I <laughs> well, wanted hey, to, you're retiring. You now have all the time in the world to do whatever you want. Yeah. So why not be positive? Yeah, like cleaning up the house the first week that I'm that I'm doing this, you know, and the storms. Oh, yeah. my God, the storms. Did you guys, Richard, you guys get hurt by the storms? As we sit, it's not raining right now, I don't think. Um, but... Uh, where, where you well, uh, we lost power like everyone else did for, you know, big stretches a couple of different times. But we were very, very fortunate. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a good friend who lost both their cars to a tree coming down both. across their driveway. Yeah, took out both of their vehicles. Uh, all around us, uh, there were, we saw similar situations, I should say, all around us. Uh, houses very close to us where trees had come down either through the roof or onto a car. Uh, which I have had that experience several years ago uh, when we were uh, our house in Sacramento. We had a tree come down and take out my wife's car completely. Uh, so, you know, I know it happens. But this time, just the inconvenience of being without power was the worst thing that happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, my dog's not being able to go outside and run around in the, in the backyard during the rainstorms. Those are the biggest problems yeah. we face this time. So we're keeping fingers crossed going forward that that'll be the worst that we deal with this time around. You know, I... Uh... I, I understand that the wind is supposed to die down a bit, uh, and I really hope it does. I can't remember being in a storm here where the wind frightened me so much, where I was so concerned about it, uh, and that having your losing your power at the same time that the wind picks up, you're in a dark house. Yeah, I've you know I've lived in Sacramento since 1973, and I've never seen wind like that. I saw that uh, John Myers, longtime newsy, who has now gone over to the I think Calpers, uh, he had said he's lived in North Carolina, so he's used to wind, and he'd never seen anything like this really? in California. Really? Uh, yeah, it was unique. Now, you lived in Sacramento. You got here in, what, 82? Is that right? Uh, 80. 80. So yeah. do you remember the big storms? The, the ones that really stand out to me, I think it was 86. 86 was a big one. Here's an interesting thing yeah. about 86. One of the things that happened there, covering that storm, one of the things that happened was we had this enormous snowfall in the Sierra. And then we had almost back to back right after that an unseasonably warm uh, pickup in the temperatures. It was pretty dramatic. And I remember talking to a couple editors. This is at the AP in New York, and they said, "Hey, what happens with all that snow that fell? You're going to have flooding." And of course, I said, "No, not a chance. We've never had that before." And it turns out that's exactly what happened. And the levee up by Oliverhurst, I think it was in Linda, smashed. It just broke. And it just inund, you know, it inundated everything. So it, the question is, we've got all that snow. If we have this a, a climate change, maybe driven phenomena where it gets really warm, that's pr- going to be pretty scary. The river already, the weirs have not been opened yet, but the river Sacramento River downtown is already way high. It's kind of disturbingly high when well, you see it. And Rich, so you worked at StateNet. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I think it was about ninety six or ninety seven. There were floods up in the sort of outside of Yuba City. And one of our employees actually got stranded on the roof up there, Barbara. She yes. was, uh, oh, wow. yeah, she was uh, the person who would go down this in the old days. She would sit in the committee rooms and take notes and then come back and enter it in so that they could update the bill tracking. And uh, yeah, Barbara, Barbara's uh, house was significantly flooded and she ended up on the roof and I think had to be rescued by a boat, if I remember right. It was pretty intense. 96 was before my time there, but I'm familiar with that story. And, and I'm certainly familiar with 96. I mean, that uh, my wife is a civil engineer and she uh, works for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And of course, everything that they do is about flood management. 
And uh, those are legendary years, 86, 93, 96. Wow. Those are legends or legendary years around the Corps because they did, uh, you had, you know, levy compromises or other, you know, overtops. I will say, I mean, I think um, the reservoirs are filling up now, but I think for the most part, everyone's confident so far, but you know that they're going to hold and everything's going to be fine. I think that's one of those things, though. When you live here, you know when we get these kinds of years, these are the things that we worry about, right? The other places might worry about other things. We know that can always be a possibility here. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Sacramento's history, though, Sacramento used to flood regularly. Every year, right? yeah. It used to be a really big deal here. Well, and, you know, so. things people don't really realize if they're not from Sacramento or if they're, you know, or maybe they've not lived here that long. Uh, if you go to old Sacramento and you walk around there, what you were walking around on is the second floor. They actually, in the 1870s, trucked in millions and millions and millions of pounds of gravel and dirt and rock and filled in the entire first floor so that if you're at, you know, if you're walking around going to a pizza parlor, you're actually walking into what used to be the second floor and is now the first floor because they've completely filled it up. And I think they filled it up all the way to 15th Street uh, and in fact, you can tell this because if you are walking around in the alleys in the like close to, uh, you know, close to the Capitol, you'll go down, you'll be at street level. Then you walk into the alley and you'll go down and you'll be going down basically another floor. The center of the alley is low. It's at the original level of California and then it goes, I mean, of Sacramento and then it goes back up. So, I mean, I, I forget which, uh, oh, you're, uh, I forget which inauguration was but there was actually an inauguration where they had to i think bring the governor in by boat to the capitol because it was the whole that's totally weird i mean i've seen that too i've seen at construction sites we've seen it too we've driven by it where you'll see a, a building that's been taken out they've cleared the area and when they dig you see wait there's a advertising sign painted on brick that's right. down like in the, it's really the weirdest thing and the the alleys the one between 10th street and uh Ninth Street, I think it is, where the insight, uh, the coffee shop was there next to. They changed that. There was a book oh, store yeah, yeah. there. Levinson's was the bookstore that was yeah. there, and the alley goes down about fifteen or twenty feet. It's way down. There goes way back up, and on either side, you can see their their basements in there. What do they hide? How many bodies are buried? You know, in those basements, one wonders. You know, one yeah. does wonder. John, I, I have a question. Maybe Tim was going to ask this, so pardon me if I'm stepping on your toes, but. What he are, likes what, it. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm curious. What are you going to miss? What are, What are you going to miss about doing this job? I liked. Um, I, I think I like talking to people and sourcing. Uh, I liked uh, dealing with the copy that the writers put in. I liked having a certain amount of profile. Obviously, we're not the size of Cal Matters or the B or anybody else that deal, or much less the LA Times or the other people up here. But it is fun. I think I I, I feel very lucky that I was able to work journalistically and not wind up working at for the government, for example, in a particular, which I did seriously consider when we went belly up, Tim. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that's, I've been, I've been able to have some fun and do what I like. That's my, my, my basic feeling is that we should have fun. And there's so many reporters I know over the years and now, especially they are not having fun. Mm -hmm. And, I don't want to say the news organizations, but just between us, it's the B and, you know, the Chronicle for that matter. And uh, many at the Times. Naturally, I don't want to say their names, but I know <laughs> you guys won't. You guys, you won't out me. Um, 
we went dark again. Luckily, our, we have no viewers on this, but we have, we have people. What people don't know is we completely went black in here. We have automatic lights that go on <laughs> if we don't move enough, you know. So anyway, I think that's it, Rich. I think I had a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to miss that. Um, well, you were, you go. I got to say, John, you were the best networking person I've ever met. You were so good at keeping in touch with your sources on a regular basis. And when you walk down the street, wherever we went in downtown, you would run into someone you knew, often multiple, multiple people. And I will never forget, we were over covering a UFW protest and you're looking way across the, you know, across the park, Capitol Park. And you're like, hey, I think that's the spokesperson for the UFW. I haven't seen him in 30 years. Yeah, you wander over and there he is. He's like, John, I haven't seen you. And I'm just thinking, how does he do this? Like yeah. remembering what this guy looks like 30 years later, <laughs> a few gray hairs uh, added. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you were really good at Well, that's at fun. That. that stuff is fun. You know who the best networker, best networkers, I think. If I had to pick one, I would pick Donna Lucas. Yeah. She's everywhere all the Donna time. Donna knows everybody. Yeah. And she likes young people. I think young people come to, sometimes yeah. with pains in the ass, but she <laughs> likes them and deals with them really professionally. And just, you know, and then the lobbyists we've talked to, especially lately, they, they really know how to network. They have to because of their, you know, their interests. They have to do that. It's something that's part of their job, you know, in a real fundamental way. They really know everybody. That's another thing. I think one lesson I've learned, it ain't the reporters that know what's going on. It's the lobbyists that know, know what's going on, you know. At least they know more about what's going on than I do. There are some great reporters that do. Obviously, you mentioned Laurel Rosenhall before, of course. Um, there have been great, I think, some great stories out of the B. That Teresa Cliff did oh, all yeah. those stories. I mean, that's great local coverage. Uh, and a lot of... I think local coverage, I think we may be missing. Not that I want to do local coverage, well, but maybe somebody else. And it is funny. That. I remember uh, talking to a lobbyist who, one day, uh, and we were talking to him about the top 100, and he said, oh, yeah, you know that. This some years ago when Dan was still at, at the B. And he's like, yeah, you, you get Dan Marine, you're like, you look at your phone if you're a lobbyist, you're like, oh, fuck, why is Dan Marine calling me? Uh. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dan is one of those people who knows, you know, where everybody is buried. He you know, does, and he buried so, a lot of them himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, we had Mac, and there have been stories I've always liked over the years out of the Times. I remember one uh, um, by Ellis, a former bureau chief there, was one that really you know comes to mind to me. But they have stories that are right under your nose, right under your nose, and they're based typically on public documents. They got the documents, knew it was there, and did a story. And you wonder, God, I could have done that story if I just looked at the documents, but I didn't know which ones to look at, just as an example, but there have been several like that. Um, well, John, I wanted, I wanted to heap a little praise on you, too, okay, because as I noted, you know, I've done a lot of work for Capital Weekly over the years. You've been yeah. a great editor to work with, uh, but I've been doing this a long time, too, Yeah. Uh, and I will say the one, one of the many things I have always appreciated about you as a reporter and as an editor um, and you guys have heard me say this to our interns uh, of late. The job is important. The work is important. We are not that important. Don't get caught up in this who I know or, you know, what door I got behind or any of this ego stuff. Because uh, both working here and working in D.C., I've seen this where a lot of r reporters start to 
become a little too enchanted with themselves about doing this job. Because let's face it, we are in proximity of power a lot with your cover politics, right? I never saw that with you. You're a fabulous networker, as Tim said. I but did you, it very well. But you, you, you know, you, you never let this thing become something where yeah, you became part of the story in some way, and that that's a something I find extraordinarily admirable because it's not easy to do. We all have egos, right? And when people start to recognize you and you know uh, care about the words you write or say. It's easy sometimes to think that we're more important than we are, but we the story is important, and you've well, when, always kept that as a as a as a you know a, a mantra, and I have always really appreciated that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that too. Appreciate those words. Um, I don't want to be a story because if I'm a story, then we're probably getting sued by somebody, <laughs> which has happened uh, threateningly happened a couple times, yeah. um, and that uh, scares me. You got to understand, and I know I think Rich and I have talked about this, but. What you see is here. There is no system of there's no system where we can lawyer things. Yes, we have errors and omissions coverage, but we're a small outfit. And if we went into a if there was a libel case, uh, we could probably we would probably exhaust that fairly quickly. You know, so it's not like you have that you have that that uh, sense of security that it's a large outfit that you can be protected, which you do have if you're at the at the AP, for example, or the Times or the Chronicle. Uh, or any large newspaper. That having been said, it's kind of fun walking on the tightrope. Uh, and typically we cover public events. We're not breaking a lot of stuff. People have to worry about that or the investigative reporters of the world who actually go out and break stuff, uh, breaking news, and do it in a way that hasn't been, other people haven't done it before. And they're at risk. And their publications are at risk. So they got to be right. Well, Which is pretty good. You know, to follow up on what you were saying, Rich, I can still remember the first time when I was at Capitol Weekly and we wrote a story about a bill and it was a bill that had been a gut demand and they'd kind of given it a new number and they were going to try to sneak it in. We published the story and that bill was dead that afternoon. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is pretty incredible that we had this sort of an impact. And I could see how a reporter would get entranced by the idea of that and the idea of their importance and keeping the context that you're just part of a big, you know, you're part, one cog in a giant wheel of, of information and media is really important. But it, you know, it is pretty exciting to see your work have an impact, you know, yeah. and, and I could see how you could get, you know, an outsized ego if you have, if you write a lot of stories with a lot of impacts, I could see how it'd be maybe hard to keep that in context. Well, you know, we, you know, there's some great models. John's always been one. People like George Skelton's always been one. I mean, you know, I, I think they're out there, and and you know, it's one of the real appealing things for you know me coming here. I mean, I I won't lie. You know, I I I had a pretty cushy life maybe before here. We'll but, fix that. But uh, yes, I, I you know I, I was really interested in coming here because I I have a lot of respect for the yeah. for the work you guys have accomplished, and um, like I say, I'm going to try not to fall off my chair too often. You know, uh, and, and keep 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 the lights on and the doors open, right? Yeah, absolutely. And not yeah. not screw up the interns too bad. Those are, yeah. those are my main jobs. Oh no, young people are made to be exploited mercilessly. <laughs> so exploit them, just like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, go ahead. So I was going to say, so so one last question, maybe for both of you, is so John, in the time you've been at Capital Weekly, I'm dropping. I should have told you to think about this, but uh, do you have any particular story that you worked on that you can really 
think of fondly or that you think was really interesting, anything that really stands out, any particular story? And same, same thing for you while you were at, at StateNet or Cal Journal. Anything? Uh, that's a tough one. One of the stories I enjoyed, um, this is actually when I was writing, I enjoyed doing was one on the, unfortunately, was one on the shrinkage of the press corps. And it really put a lot of pieces together and had a lot of uh, data in it. It was really a fairly long story. At the time, I thought it was too long. Now, I would think it'd be like a brief compared to some stories we run, you know. But uh, I was very proud of that. And, um, and it did make a difference. And it got people at the time that were uh, not really knowledgeable about what was happening journalistically in the Capitol. I think it got them to think about it. I think that was a, that was a pretty good story. If I had to do it again... One thing I would do, which I did not include in that story, would be to add public radio. Because while those while print publications across the board were having problems, Capital Public Radio was going forward, was actually expanding. And one of the people at Capital Public Radio called me and said, hey, you know, this is a pretty grim picture, but you ought to know what we're doing. And he, chapter and verse, they'd been some hiring, some expansion. They had technologically, I think, it did some improvements. I thought that was I thought that was a pretty good story. The most memorable one that I remember personally was a story we did on um, a redistricting. Um, excuse me, not the, it wasn't the redistricting; it was the election uh, settlement, the Diebold election system settlement. A fire, a, a small company, a law firm, had sued Diebold over problems with the election equipment. This is like 25, 30 years ago now. Twenty five years ago, um, with problems with the election equipment. They were a very small company. Debo was a large company. This was a small law firm. So in cases where you're fighting for public good, which this qualified as that, the state attorney general, I think they call it Kitam, the state attorney general can get into a case and represent, they have hundreds of attorneys, and they did. The attorney general that they won, the got a settlement and divided up the money. It was $11 million and some change is my memory. We identified people who got part of the settlement that seemingly didn't have anything to do with elections. And we did a story that was, we did a hit on the, on the attorney general then. And that was a good story, absolutely straight, absolutely, a, it was a clean hit. And I've never seen those people so upset at that, you know, and they didn't need to be. They really didn't. I don't want to go through the names, who got what, but the bottom line was it was a good story uh, and we just shrug it and go on to your next story, you know. But they did. They really, uh, I think they were suspicious of us ever after that, and I certainly was of them, I think, you know. What about you, Rich? Any stories really stand out from your time at, at State Ed? You know, I, I'm really fortunate. I had, I had, I got to cover a lot of different stuff over those 20 years. Um, of late, some of the things that have, I, I've really become really interested in equity issues. Uh, gender parity, uh, gender equity issues around uh, our, the state houses. Uh, certainly that's been a big issue here in California, whether it's gender pay equity, yeah. representation uh, for women on boards, uh, representation in our state house. Uh, those are issues that have uh, really begun to resonate with me a lot over the years. So I've, I've written a lot about those. Uh, you know, there's things that I don't care about as much that I've had to write a lot about as well. I won't name the topics, but... Um, one story that stands out for me, this was from a very long time ago, is right after Katrina. My wife and I had been in New Orleans uh, a couple of weeks before Katrina. Right, right when we left is when it had started to build 
out in the in the ocean and then you know a couple weeks later it hit and we all know what happened with Katrina and Rita right after that and um, you know devastating loss of life and, uh, and New Orleans is one of my favorite cities and of course we know you know it was uh, what happened there but uh, maybe a year or so later I was at a national conference national conference of state uh, legislatures annual meeting and I just happened to be sitting next to the chief of staff for a lawmaker in Louisiana who had introduced a bill that mandated in an emergency, in a state-mandated evacuation, people had to be allowed to take their pets with them because they had learned that probably well over half of the people who died from Katrina in New Orleans were because they weren't allowed to take their pets. And they were older people who said, I'm not leaving without my cat or my dog. And they stayed and then they subsequently died. And so the first bill in the country to at the state level to mandate that, right? Emergency responders had to let these people bring their pets. Since then, a number of states have followed suit, I think including California, but I can't, I won't swear to that. But the thing that stood out about that, I wrote that story and there really wasn't any other coverage of it at the time. And I remember one of the, one of, I, again, I won't name a name, but there was somebody in state who lost their marbles at me because when I did the story, I could not find a, a, an appropriate picture to go with it. But I had this awesome picture of uh, my dog at the time looking at me with these big brown eyes. Expect because I think I had a treat or something in my hand. It was actually a picture, but it was uh, more my wife's dog. If she hears this, she'll know this, this was her dog. But long story short, I used that picture on the cover for the story. And I was like, oh my God, how could you do something? People don't care about this. To this day, 20 years later, I never got more emails, letters, and phone calls about a story. And I mean, I've covered abortion and human traffic and all kinds of budgeting issues and uh, you know, gun control and education, you name it. Uh, you could add all of the calls and emails and everything I got over the years and it wouldn't come close to what I got over that story on people being allowed to take their dogs I when they absolutely believe that. Yeah, yeah me too. And, uh, yeah, that has always rest. I mean, I, you, you guys know, I am a humongous dog lover, right? So I, that has always stayed with me and it reminded me, you know, when you do this job to never presume anything, yeah. right? The story is what the story is. Don't ever yeah. presume that, something's going to be a certain way. If it's an interesting story, then do it and let those chips yeah, fall. absolutely. Remember the story, Tim, Tim, you remember that story on the spaying, the mandatory? Yeah. God almighty. That, I, I can't believe the responses to that. That was, it's like you're talking about, you know. Um, people love their pets. Mm-hmm. People have real interest in their pets. Anything affecting their pets, anything generates interest. And that mandatory spaying bill, really got an amazing amount of reaction. It just was a, yeah. astonishing. It just blew me away. You know? Yeah, Same I, I did some stories on that, too, when, when that was happening. And, and, the, and the other one with uh, the Beagles were, you know, they're uh, about um, having to offer these dogs that have been used in testing right. uh, for adoption before they automatically sent them to be euthanized. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of animal stories yeah. over the years, and, you know, I will admit, that's a really personal interest for me, but that's, I agree with you, man. Ferrets. Ferrets, all, <laughs> ferrets. about every four or five years, ferrets come up. Ferrets, uh, yes. Know. Ferrets. <laughs> we can't escape them. <laughs> and what is it, minks come up as well? Because everybody wants to start a mink farm. Somebody, yeah. 50 years ago, somebody must have ran an ad in a Pulp magazine or something 
you know, have your minks and after a while you can sell the coats and all. And they're just really smelly, nasty, miserable creature. As far as I know, it's still, I don't know, can you raise minks le legally now? Do you know? I have no idea. I, I never don't want to. We no. should use our emergency call to Jennifer Fearing and find out if we can have <laughs> yeah, a mink go. farm right in California. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I, the last thing I'll add there is, you know, I think, I think what we're both saying here is that, you know, yeah. there, there are some stories that resonate. They resonate over time. And, you know, if you're in California, you know we're going to cover things like water and, and you know, the budget yeah. every year, you know, fires and emergency response, health. All these things are, are, are constants. But I think one of the beauties of Capital Weekly is we do have the ability to maybe take on a story, give it a little bit more in-depth of a look uh, than when you're just trying to break daily news. And that's another. It was another real appealing thing for me to come here, and I, I, I you know, greatly appreciate the opportunity. I, I uh, can't say that enough. But I'm, and I'm really looking forward to that. People kept asking me at the big bash thing. Last night was the uh, back to session bash. Yes, CTBA's back to session bash. People have been asking me. So, are you going to come in and make all these changes? And I said, Well, why? First of all, why would I do that? I, you know, I saw Kevin Johnson come into the mayor's office with both guns blazing, and you, you, if you can't learn from that, you know, you, you can't learn anything. Don't do that. But, um, but that's part of it. Is I think there's a long history here of being able to do good things, interesting things, fun things. Yeah. Um, Maybe without. Page six, like they have in the New York Post, maybe. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, we all have ideas of things maybe we would like to, to also explore, but uh, I'm really looking forward to keeping the legacy yeah, okay. going. Well, welcome, and we'll pass the baton. Rich Heisen, thank you very much. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Well, and now we have your very last, well, maybe John may, may be a guest. We'll be, because when we run short of guests, we'll call John. Yes. Uh, but this may be your, could ostensibly be your last. I think so. Worst week in California politics. Yes. Uh, can I? Do we have an echo chamber effect? Uh, goodbye, everybody. No? Okay. Uh, so now we'll talk about the worst week in California politics. Rich, I want you to participate as editor. Right. You, you you get to participate. Yeah, we have a we have a plethora we of do. options. Yeah, we this do. week Un, unusual for us. Yes. So so Rich, who you had mentioned some names. Yeah. There's several well, options. Well, the first one that comes to mind, and I think this you know to me felt like it was somewhat obvious because uh, Nancy Ward. Only recently, I think it was only within the last week or so, yeah. uh, stepped into office replacing Mark Gillarducci, who'd done a great job at the Office of Emergency Services for a long time. Yeah. What a time to take that job as these storms are rampaging across all of California. We're seeing flooding. People are being, what are we up to now? About 18 or 19 fatalities from, this, uh, from these storms. Uh, all the trees and the power outages and uh, you oh, know really? what a time to step into the job right I, I don't I don't know I guess you don't take this job unless you're ready for something like that but boy your first week before you you yeah. know you've even got your desk set up the way you'd like it to be I, I that's my candidate for the worst week I thought that right? was unreal too because she gets I, I saw the announcement of her appointment and I think it was within 48 hours. I mean, this happened like she didn't get any rest time, any intermission, you know, there was nothing she had to get right into it, which I, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty amazing. You know, um, uh, trial by fire or flood <laughs> always works. I think when you're really, really into what you do and she's got a long experience in this, I think probably this is a good thing. How bad can it get after this? I guess only earthquakes. Yeah, maybe. yeah don't. Yeah. Hey, John, be careful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Please don't tap the face. <laughs> yeah. Though, I, you know, I would love to have asked her 
Did you have power at your house? Yeah, really. <laughs> you were trying to manage all. You know, I've never things. seen that management. That uh, what is it? The OES management crisis management center or something? It's out yeah. in the suburbs. I've never seen it that crowded. Yeah. I mean, everybody from that. I I didn't see an empty chair out there. I don't know how it usually is staffed, but man, it was like looking at a House of Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It was um, well, maybe that's where all the reporters were going to get power. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, uh, and so you had several other options as well. We had talked about. Well, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom has had a pretty good run with budget surpluses, and you know, last year we all last couple of years we always anticipated. Uh, big shortfalls. It didn't happen. It turned out exactly the opposite. Well, this year the shoe, other shoe, finally dropped, and we got when uh, he announced uh, his uh, uh, January budget on Tuesday, we saw twenty two and a half billion approximately shortfall. So now he gets to deal with the things that Jerry Brown and other governors dealt with so many times before, and of course, you know that means cuts had to be made, we, we uh, or deferred. What have you? And of course, if you're if you're one of the people getting those cuts, you're going to be going to be pretty upset. So you know the governor has been everybody's best friend for the last couple of years because he's had money to throw at everything and anything. And now, now you know he's got to be the bad guy and tell people, sorry, not this year. Yeah. So I, I I would say that would make that would make for an unfortunate week. And also, you know, he's the one who's got to go out and fly the flag for the government at all of the emergency things. So, you know, as much yeah. as uh, the OES chief is is in charge of responding to it, he also can't be having a good week for that. So he has a little bit of double duty there. Also, yeah, he, he has to be the face of a lot of this, whether yeah, he likes yeah. it or not. Yeah, Buck stops there. Also, I was uh, impressed how little coverage it got. Now, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention to it, but normally the budget is a major, you know, once a time a year, Lisa May revise is probably the more important one, but this is the unveiling of the budget to the legislature. But it got amazingly, I thought, uh, marginal coverage at best. I think walking across the bridge, uh, you know, making that kind of state of the state kind of thing and trying to duplicate or, I guess, hearken up the January 6th attack, 2021 attack in D.C. was kind of weird, but I didn't see much attention there. Yeah, my attention was on D.C. and my attention was on the storms, for example. Uh, especially the storms, it just didn't. I it couldn't quite connect with the budget stuff. Even though reporters covering were tweeting, you know, mercilessly all the time, and so they basically kept me informed. Right. Uh, pe- you know, people like Jeremy White and Laura Court, they're all tweeting, and so I feel like I got coverage. I knew what was going on in one ear, while I was paying more attention, I think, to the events in D.C. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I don't think Newsom was too happy about that. I think he would have wanted more coverage, especially that trip across the in the bridge. I don't, know, Tim, you saw that. What what was your take on it? You know, I mean, it certainly didn't seem like it played very well. I don't, I didn't feel like it got a lot of positive response. But I will say he lucked out because the weather was actually okay for that, and it was a real break in the weather. You know, I think the day yeah. before and the day after it was pouring rain, and so he. Uh, he actually sort of had some good luck there because it could easily have been canceled. I mean, can you yeah. see like 70 mile an hour winds, him trying to walk? Uh, it would have looked like January 6th in that case. <laughs> you know, he'd been blowing, uh, blowing his supporters up uh, through the windows. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing, this is a much smaller thing, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, so the Vallejo Sun, I believe it was, uh, had a story this week uh, yeah, it was the Vallejo Sun that Solano County is going to be paying a nine hundred thousand dollars settlement 
because of a case uh, brought against the county district attorney, Krishna Abrams, uh, by uh, former chief deputy district attorney, Sharon Henry. And 900000 bucks is a lot of money. It's yeah. a lot of money for Solano County, which is not uh, flush with cash ever, and particularly right now. And I think this is the third lawsuit against her that the county has had to settle recently. So I can't imagine this was a good week for her. Of course, it's not coming out of her pocket, but I certainly wouldn't want that on my resume. So maybe it doesn't rise to the level, but I certainly think in a, in a slower week, that would have certainly yeah. been a guaranteed uh, worst week in California. Do you know if it was a court settlement or they the party, the rival parties just agreed to settle out? I, I think it was... a. Uh, my read from that story was that they actually agreed to a settlement yeah. before it got to the court. Wow. Yeah, you don't ever want that on your, especially when it's a, a third, second, third, fourth time. You know, you don't, you don't want to have that because at some point you might need to get another job, and yeah. that could be real problematic. You know, for for your future endeavors, that yeah. could be a problem. Yeah. yeah. So and any gone? other um, any other bad news that you can think of? I can. Other than the storms, I can't get past those storms. But after the storms, I don't have a whole lot of bad news now. Do you guys? Well, you know, it's and you mentioned Twitter. I mean, there's the never-ending, uh, oh, never-ending yeah. story of Elon Musk, who uh, Rich pointed out uh, has been. They've estimated that he's lost two hundred billion dollars. Yeah, the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, uh, the ones who announced it this week that I, I think the the biggest. Essentially, dubbed him the biggest loser in history. Uh, I don't remember the time frame, but. $200 billion is a pretty wow. big hit in a short amount of time. So now He paid 44 or $45 billion for this, for Twitter, right? For Twitter. And, uh, uh, and when we've seen a 39% decrease in the value of, of uh, Tesla stock. Uh, so, you know, it's chaining out. It's, well, I think the, num- the number I saw was that in the 13 months before, so 2022 and the month before, it lost, I think, 70% of its value. Yeah, wow. which is wow. that's a California company, so that's yeah. pretty. You know, this he fits into this uh, into the scope of you know political. He's well, he does because he's inserted himself into the political yeah. conversation at every turn and uh, very willingly done that. Very openly taken sides yeah. on things. Uh, he's very openly attacked journalists and uh, politicians he disagrees with, who these days are almost all exclusively Democrats. Um, you know, we forget he used to be a little more bipartisan than that, but you know, he's 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 made this his mantra now, and the results are coming in, and they're not good for him. So, yeah. You know, I, although I got to be honest with you, I mean, the guy is so rich and so focused on whatever he cares about at the moment. I suspect he doesn't. I mean, sure, he's not probably can't be happy. That he lost two hundred billion dollars, but he's still got more in his bank account than I do, or you do, or. Anyone else probably in, you know, the square mile we're sitting. So I think he's he's probably doing just fine. Let's be real. Tim. He probably has more lost change in the, the cushions of his couch than we have in our bank accounts, yeah, right? Exactly. So, yes, I don't exactly feel sorry for him. Yeah. But it's still a big number. So, yeah. you know. Kind I mean, of Alfred E. Newman syndrome. You know, yeah. what me worries. Yeah. You know, he does seem to be smiling a lot lately, you know, yeah. as he laid off. Thousands of people, I guess. But. He does. He does look a little bit like Alfred E. Newman at times. So yeah, that that alone would give you a worst week kind of a thing. So. Okay. So, well, there's our in-depth analysis, scientifically well, rigorously researched. As yes, you can tell. data proven, the whole deal. Yeah, no, we had to call Paul Mitchell in for this. Yes. So. <laughs> 
So, uh, Rich Eisen, thank you very much for joining us, of course. And John Howard, thank you so much for... Yes. Gosh, it's been... You came to Capital Weekly in 2005. It's I had now, hair, and it was largely darker than it is now, so here you go. Yeah. I know, and you've even lost all of your Hawaiian shirts. When I you know. started, you were like basically a Hawaiian shirt every day guy. It, it's too cold to wear them now, but I'll be unless I can get some with maybe a felt lining or something. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple ties that match them, so... Uh, Rich, again, welcome and thank you so much. Thank you for doing the carrying the baton. Tim Foster, thank you. Been Thanks. a joy to work with you for many, many years. Thanks, John. Um, you don't seem to change. You look the, it's exactly the same, you know? Uh, my uh, portrait in the basement is looking terrible. <laughs> I think it's that stress-free existence yeah, that he gets right. to live, yeah, right? There's, right? There's never any concerns over... You know, money or any of those things. I'm like Elon stuff. Musk. Yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. John, it's uh, been a real honor. Let me I make sure I want to say that again. It's been a real honor, and I'm, I'm, really, uh, I'm really proud to, to be able to follow in your footsteps. Good. Well, thank you so much. Thank you both. And uh, this is John Howard saying we will talk to you at some point in the future, maybe. Uh, so take care. Bye-bye. Okay. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.